Thank you, Bob. <clears throat> I'm sorry I have a little cold this morning, so I'm, it'll be a little harder. I'll talk softly. We'll turn the mic up. If you have your Bible, if you'll turn to Genesis chapter 4. I don't really feel bad, so don't feel, oh, poor guy. Um, and I understand why you'll avoid me today. I would avoid me if I was you. I don't think I'm contagious, but they all say that. As I said, I don't feel bad, so that's a blessing. We're in Genesis chapter 4. <clears throat> you know, Rick, I'll take you up on that, thanks. Genesis chapter 4, we're, we're going through the book of Genesis. We said there's three, really four sections technically. We've got creation, and then we've got the fall. And we just saw that last, two weeks ago, chapter 3. But then we have the spread of corruption. Thank you, brother. We're, we're going to look in chapters 4 through chapter 11. We'll see the spread of corruption. And then from chapter 12 through 50, it's the creation of a nation to provide redemption. So it's not, it's not you don't have to get lost in the, in the small things. Creation, the fall, corruption, and then the creation of a nation to provide redemption. Now, in chapter 4, be kind of like this, since I'm drinking a cup of water. If I drop a drop of of grape juice or dye in there, it's going to disseminate, right? So what we're going to learn is that when Adam sinned, last week we saw there was this disastrous condemnation. God says, you're going to die. That's a penalty for sin. But that's only half of the curse of original sin. The other half is not only does it lead to condemnation, but it also infuses us with corruption. When Peter Parker, remember in Spider-Man, when he was bit by that spider, he began to manifest spider-like qualities. Adam rebels against God, and we're going to see that immediately sinful, corrupt dispositions well up inside of people. This chapter is going to look at three types of people. Religious rebels. People who decide to be religious, but they're still rebels against God. They're still sinners. They're just going to do it their way, Okay? America's full of religious rebels. They don't know it. They think they're religious good people. And then there's irreligious rebels. These are people that could care less. Don't care about God or you. And then there's people who have come God's way and gotten right with God by grace through faith. So let's pray and we'll look at this chapter. Lord, open our eyes and may the Holy Spirit accomplish what he wants us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start with Cain and Abel, a familiar story, where we'll see Cain as a religious person, but a Burger King religion. It's going to be his way. Now, the man had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Now, literally in the Hebrew, it, it's translated this. I've made a man. Right? Now, the word for I have made is kaniti. So she says, kaniti. And then she names him Cain. So she names him Cain because she made a man. Now, what do you think about this? She knew that God created Adam and that God created her out of the side of Adam. But now she got to participate. She made one. I made a man, Cain. Now, I think that here she had some optimism that this Cain was going to be 
the seed that God had promised in Genesis 3. Remember he he said in 3.15, from the seed of the woman will come one who will crush the head of the serpent. So there was great optimism that this promised child would bring some benefit. Unfortunately, not the case. And those of you who are second born, ready for this? She gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel means vanity. You know, it's kind of like, you know how it is. His second one, not many pictures. But hey, he got to drive earlier, right? So it wasn't all bad. So, but then they chose their occupations. Now, by the way, just as a side note, it's a good thing. The old Puritans used to say this, train your kid in the Bible and a calling. Help your kids find a, a calling. So these two chose a calling or a profession. Now, there may be some shadow here of the rebellion of Cain it's not for sure, but, but think about this. It says, Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, a keeper of flocks, in chapter one, when God created man, remember what he said? He said to Adam, subdue the earth, rule over the fish, the birds of the sky, rule over everything that moves on the earth, okay? So, certainly, Abel was keeping with God's calling to rule over the flocks, right? Cain, he goes with farming. Not wrong, definitely necessary because of the curse, but maybe there's a little hint there. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Now, what I want you to think about here is this was not a contest by God saying, you know, I have an idea. Everyone come up with an idea how to give me a little treat. And whoever comes up with the best idea, then your idea will be the best. I think what we're going to see is that God had already made it clear to Cain and Abel that it was necessary and pleasing to him to bring a prescribed offering. And the reason I say this is because he later says to Cain, hey, if you do what's right, things will work out. The idea is he knew what was right. So I want to suggest here, and again, I'm not going to say this dogmatically, that God had already begun to teach mankind that if you're going to come before him, you have to bring a sacrifice of an innocent animal that would shed its blood as a substitute for the guilty sinner. This becomes a pattern throughout Scripture. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Now, even in the Old Testament, just because they offered a sacrifice, that didn't automatically pardon them because they had to come with a heart of repentance and faith. So the book of Hebrews says, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. So they, they, they know that the right thing to do is to bring to God a sacrifice. So let's watch. Verse 3. It came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. So they're both, they both got their, their sacrifice laid out there, right? Their offerings. But notice it says, the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, the, the word translated regard is an interesting word. It literally means to look upon or to see. And this particular word, Sha'ah, it's never used of a disinterested glance, okay? So, so there's something going on here. 
God, God's looking at both offerings, but, but he pays attention to Abel's offering, and he's pleased with it. In fact, some commentary suggests that it wasn't unlike God in the Old Testament to send fire down to consume the offering. So somehow it became very clear. God looked at Abel's offering. He's like, I'm pleased with this. This satisfies my wrath. This is the type of first fruits that I accept. And so by faith, Abel to God, offered to God an appropriate sacrifice. He did it God's way, and God was pleased. Now, with Cain, God dissed him. He disregarded it. He did not look upon it. Now, here's an interesting thing. The moment you realize that God's correcting you, you got two options. Get bitter or get better. Look what happens. Verse five. God had no regard for Cain's offering, so Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. So this happens oftentimes when you're talking to somebody about the Bible. They're going, well, my church says you have to do this, this, and this to get to heaven. And then you show them from the Bible. But the Bible says you can only come through Jesus. And it's through his sacrifice by his grace. Some people get angry at that. Who do you think you are? So, so being corrected by God, Cain goes with the anger. Okay, And that anger is starting to grow within him. This is not a, a little tick. This, 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 the words here are very, very fierce. He was angry. And notice the text says, his countenance fell. Literally, his face fell. He, his face didn't fall off. He just got that look, right? Now, when you think about it, I think God's design is that we don't all go around looking, hating, you know? But we want to be careful here. If we're simplistic, we'll go, and here's a problem. The reason people are mad and angry and depressed is because they're disobeying God. I think that's too simplistic. There are a lot of reasons why our faces are sad often or, or hurt or downcast. And we don't want to become judgmental, self-righteous people going, oh, you're, you're not happy because you're sinning. But I think it's appropriate as Christians for us to consider that there are times that we are unhappy because of our own unresolved sin, particularly anger. Sociologists tell us that unresolved anger often leads to repression. So we don't come to the conclusion, if you're angry, that's why you're depressed. There's lots of reasons people get depressed. But again, we don't want to go to the other extreme. So in Ephesians, it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give Satan a place. So I just want to say, an audience of this many people, there's probably people out here that are very angry. You're hurt. You've got resentment, maybe toward God or toward others. And the worst thing you can do is to just allow that anger to grow inside of you. Give it over to God. Accept his correction. Forgive because God wants to forgive you. And you'll find that, as God said to Cain, if you do what's right, your face will be lifted up again. Now, so God says to Cain, why are you angry? Now, here's an interesting thought. Kidner, who, uh, uh, who wrote a commentary, said this. He goes, did you notice Satan talked Eve into sinning. Now God's trying to talk Cain out of sinning. He's, he sees like Cain, you're already, you're, you're on, the, on the verge here of going south. And that's so sad. There's so many people that are on the precipice. They're at, at a fork in the road. And you have to decide, are you going to repent, receive God's correction and go his way? Or are you going to go your way? So God's so gracious. He says to Cain, if you do what's right, if you do well, 
This, this word well is often used of God who does good. It's often translated, do good to us, O Lord. But then the response, sometimes this word is used of our response to God. Because he's done good to us, then he tells us, now I want you to do good. Do what's right. This is the mark of a believer. We learn out of response to his grace to do what's right. To do those things that are pleasing to God. But then he gives an ominous warning, verse 7. He says, if you do not do what's good or do well, sin is crouching at your door. Now, this is really interesting. So he just personified sin like a lion. It's, it's perched at your doorway. It's just waiting to pounce on you. It's waiting to dominate you. And, and I really want you to think about this is, this is what sin is all about. Sin destroys and dominates our lives. Now, an interesting side note, there's a cognate word for this word crouching in the Akkadian language, which is similar to Hebrew. And that word was used for a type of demon. And so the first Jewish publication society, the first time they published a Torah, this is what it said. Sin is the demon at the door. That's how they translated it. Sin is the demon at the door. And I don't think God's really trying to tell us sin is a demon. He's simply trying to say to us, sin is very, very destructive. And unless you get delivered from it, it's going to destroy you. So here's Cain at this precipice of, 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 of seeking God's help to be rescued from sin. But he says, if you don't master it, it's desirous for you. Now, as a side note, remember, this was the same phrase that was used of the curse. Eve, your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. And so there's this conflict. And you know what? Do, do you feel it? Do you not? If you, if you are anywhere in touch with your conscience and with life, you feel a struggle inside of you, right? There's times I don't want to do what's right, right? That's sin within us. But Christ came to break the power of sin and to free us. So let's see what Cain does. Verse 8, and Cain told Abel his brother. Now, if you have the NIV, it says, Cain said, let us go out in the field. And I'm going, what? That's not in the text. But there is a Greek translation, not, not the Septuagint, but there is a Greek translation that does have that phrase in it. Let's go out to the field. I don't, it's not in the Hebrew text. I think it would be better to say Cain told Abel. We don't know what he told him. Did he tell him, hey, God didn't accept my sacrifice, right? We don't know what he told him. But when they got out in the field, we learned from the book of 1 John that Cain killed Abel because of his envy. His brother's deeds were righteous. So, so remember, God had said back in chapter 3, I will put enmity between your seed and my seed. People who decide to follow God are going to be hated by people who decide not to follow God. And so Cain wells up with this anger. Instead of coming to God and getting healing, he lets it run its course. And it says, he rose up and killed his brother. Now again, I'm going, God, why don't you just take one of your lightning bolts and let him have it? But look at how compassionate God is. God is so gracious. He's so loving. He's so patient with us. He comes to appeal with Cain. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Notice, sin just multiplies. So one of the things that we do when we do something wrong is then we cover it. 
And the Bible says, he that covers his sins will never prosper. But when we confess them, we find mercy. So instead of confessing, he covers it. Hey, where's your brother? I don't know. And then he has the audacity to add, am I my brother's keeper? No. Answer that. Yes. Have you thought about the implications of that? That being a human being in the image of God, we have responsibilities, not just for ourselves. Because of our depravity, our natural default is me, me, me. And it's so difficult to be reminded that, yes, I do have a responsibility for my family. And as Christians, the book of 1 John is going to pick up on this and say, hey, listen, we are supposed to love each other, care for each other, meet one another's needs. If somebody's out of the fold, are we supposed to say, that ain't my problem, right? No, it is our problem because we're brothers, we're family. We are to care for one another. So God says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now, it's time to give him his consequences. Now, the interesting thing is, back in chapter three, remember the consequence to Adam. This is what God said. Cursed is the ground because of you. So this fertile soil, it was Lancaster-rich soil without the manure smell. The original fertile soil, God curses it right? But now he gives a double whammy to Cain because he already cursed the ground, but now he says to Cain, verse 11, now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So when you cultivate the ground, it'll no longer yield its strength for you. So that's the first part. He's gone, I already cursed the ground, and it'd be hard enough to scratch out food from it. But now, you're cursed from the ground. So for you, dude, you're going to barely get enough barley to live on. But then he adds to him. And by the way, secondly, you're going to be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. I want you to think about that. A, a vagrant, a wanderer, a hobo. You know, in the movies, it looks kind of cool. You, you get a little stick with a little knapsack on your sandwich. You jump on that train, right? You're just going to roll, right? Leave your troubles behind. But I want you to think over the years, what would that be like to have no place to call home, no loved ones to gather around you, no community to really care for you, but that you were just gonna just kind of wander through life. And you know what's really sad? Is there are a whole lot of people on this earth. That's exactly what they're doing. They're wandering hopelessly through life. And really, it's because they're disconnected from God. The Bible says people are without hope and without God in this world. So, as a result of that, Cain responds to God. My punishment, verse 13, that's too great. That's too much. You've got to be kidding me. That's over the top. Now, first of all, I'm thinking, are you serious? You just killed someone? You should be going, thank you, God. Oh, thank you for not killing me. But I want you to think about this. When he says my punishment, unlike English, the Hebrew word for sin and the Hebrew word for punishment the same word. It all depends on the context whether I'm going to translate it sin or punishment. So it could be translated here, my sin is too great for bear, for to bear. And maybe he's thinking about his guilt, but the fact that God had just given consequences, I think this is a good translation. My punishment is too great to bear. 
So let, let's, let's think about why is his punishment so great? Well, he says, first of all, you've driven me from the face of the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden, verse 14. So the first reason why he felt his punishment would be too great, think about this, he would be banished from God. Now, for some people, they're like, who cares? God, schmod, as long as I got my stuff going. The Bible actually describes, partly describes hell as to be away from the presence of the Lord. To be separated from God is the deepest form of human torment. To be banished from the presence of God. Because once the presence of God is absent, there's nothing but evil and loneliness. In fact, I read an interesting story this week, unrelated to this, but I thought it fit. Albert Einstein, as a young man, was in a class, and an atheistic professor said, evil is created by God. Therefore, God is evil. And Einstein, as a young man, stood up and he said, do you believe in cold? And the professor said, of course I believe in cold. And Einstein said, why? There's no such thing as cold. And he talked about how once you get below 465 degrees below Fahrenheit, it's the absence of heat. So there really is no such thing as cold. It's just the absence of heat. Of course, you're going, I don't understand that. that you're not Albert Einstein, neither am I. Then he says, do you believe in darkness? And some of you have heard this. First, of course, I believe in darkness. He says, well, actually, there's no such thing as darkness. He says, darkness is really just the absence of light, right? And he says, evil is not created by God. Evil is the absence of God. And so Cain's punishment was that he would be banished from the presence of God. And then, in addition, God said, or, or Cain said, listen, this is too much. I'm banished from your face. I'll be a vagrant and wander on the earth, and someone's going to kill me. He, now, think about this. He's the first killer, right? How does he even know what a killer is, right? But he, he understands. doesn't take long as a sinner to sort of go, wow, I get how this works. And he feared vengeance. And you're like, who's going to take vengeance on him? Adam and Eve had many kids after this, right? So, let's keep reading. So the Lord says to him, verse 15, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain. <laughs> One commentary actually said, it was the first tattoo. I'm like, nah, probably not, right? Some sign, lest anyone finding him should slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the land of Nod, which literally means possibly wandering or shaking. So he lived in the land of wandering, to wander ever afterward, lonely, abandoned by God, scratching out life. But now out of this, remember, sin spreads. So civilization rises up, okay? People now realize, man, it's going to be hard just to get by with a little help from my friends. I got to get food. And so in essence, this is a really interesting passage here because we're going to see the birth of civilization and, and creative instruments that make the curse easier, right? And you sort of are left wondering, is this a good thing or a bad thing, okay? So let's read. So you start in verse 17. It says, and Cain had relations with his wife and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch and he built a city and he called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. And you're like, how cool. You know, that'd be cool. Is that wrong to name a city after your son to, to sort of 
remember your legacy. The psalmist in Psalm 49, he was reflecting on how people live away from God and how they scrounge around just to get a bunch of money and maybe get something named after them. So he says in Psalm 49, the stupid and senseless man alike perish. They leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their house will abide forever. You know, oh man, I'll leave my name on this. He says, their dwelling place to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. So I'm wondering, is he thinking back like, like, like this guy did? He goes, but man in all of his pomp, he won't endure. He's just like the beasts that perish. So it's kind of like, is that, is that the end of life to stockpile stuff and get something named after you? You're just going to die, right? So, so you go, oh, well, maybe it's not wrong to name the town, city after yourself. But keep reading. Now, verse 18. To Enoch was born Arad, the father of Mohajel, Methusel. <clears throat> he became the father of Lamech. Now, Lamech's just going to get ugly, right? So remember we said we had a religious guy in rebellion against God. Cain's going to do I'm going to do it my way. Now, Lamech's just, God schmod, I'm just doing my thing. I'm not even going to try to be religious. So the first thing we find is it says, and Enoch took two wives for himself. Or not Enoch, I'm sorry, Lamech. Verse 19. Now that's bigamy. And you're like, well, God didn't, God didn't strike him. God didn't say that's wrong. Well, listen, if God struck every person and said everything that was wrong, two things would be a problem. The Bible would be about a million pages long and we'd all be dead. So just because God doesn't strike somebody every time, don't, don't think God is approving. This is rebellion. God had made it clear. The two shall be one. Malachi chapter two says, God has made husband and wife one to raise up a godly seed, right? To raise up followers, disciples of Christ, followers of God. Lamech doesn't want anything to do with it, right? He's gonna have two wives. Now, if that's not offensive enough, he writes the first violent rap. You're like, what? Well, let me show you. It says, his name of his wife was Ada, the other name was Zillah, and she gave birth to Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock, and his brother's name was Jubal. Now, <clears throat> those two names probably have something to do with happiness, so they're, they're, they're merry, they're, they're pleased with themselves. <coughs> Verse 21, he was a father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Does that mean music's wicked? Music's of the devil? No, right? But note the backdrop here. This is a civilization apart from God. So does God love music? Yeah, he does. But remember, instruments and, and civilization's accomplishments can either be instruments for the glory of God or terrible ways to live life apart from God. So, watch what happens here. Verse 22 says, Zillah gave birth to Tubal Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron. And you're going, brilliant, brilliant. It's going to be hard to grow food. So now we're going to learn how to forge instruments, plowshares, and scythes, right? And sickles. But I think there's an ominous idea here that instead of just instruments of farming, 
Soon men will forge implements of fighting like swords, right? So here in early civilization, it's sort of already beginning to sort of show this idea that man has enormous potential in the image of God. But now this ability to forge things will later become forging instruments. And it won't be till Christ returns that men will beat their plows or beat their swords back into plowshares. So, if that's not enough, we then read this. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice. Now, ladies, I'm going to just tell you this about men. Men are insecure. And we're just going just to spill that, okay? We like to be adored and respected by our wives. In fact, I, I was watching a video one time. This guy, it was with a bunch of other Christians. And he said, ladies, don't do this. But he said, ladies, everybody reach over and feel your husband's arm, right? So all the ladies did that, right? And then he asked the men, how many of you guys made a muscle when she did it? You tighten her up, right? We're all going, well, yeah, I didn't want her to, right? He goes, why'd you do that, right? Well, because maybe there's something in our humanity to want to be respected. We, we want to show our wives, right? And so, so this guy decides he's going to tell his wife about what a bad dude he is, how, how a young man messed with him, and, and he, he bit off more than he could chew. And so it almost looks like a musical celebration of how he killed someone, and he wants to tell his wife what a, what a bad man he is. And by the way, girls, please, young ladies who aren't married, I know there's something enamorous about the bad boy, but let it go. Because <laughs> that's what he is. He's a bad boy, and he will drag you down, okay? Find a good man with a good heart who has a Bible and a job and loves the Lord. And don't worry about whether he rides 100 miles an hour on his motorcycle, okay? Okay, back to the text here. <laughs> don't know how I got on that. <laughs> no charge for that, ladies. So, <clears throat> listen to verse 23. Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice. You wives of Lamech, I mean, he's probably rapping it. Right, these guys be... For I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is of old sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. How, how preposterously arrogant. He not only kills somebody, he's not only bragging about it, but now he's presuming on the grace of God that since God protected Cain from murder sevenfold, he'll probably be protected seventy-sevenfold. You're like, wow. Yeah, we should say Wow. This is what sin does. And, and, and lest we go, ew, those dirty animals, we all are corrupted with the same sin. It's just what's going to happen. Are we going to let it run its course? Or are we going to let Christ bring the cure? So, the, the, the end of this chapter ends on a positive note. So we got some, some light here, some, some hope, right? Verse 25, Adam had relations with his wife and she gave birth to a son named Seth. And this name, Seth, not sure what it means. Some suggest new beginning or foundation, right? She says, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel for Cain killed him. So again, I think here's Eve holding out hope. God's got to do something, right? Here's a new beginning. And to Seth was born a son and he called his name Enosh. And then look at this beautiful verse. I love this verse. Right in the midst of this dark, evil, corrupt, killing one another, bragging about it. 
Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. See, the line is drawn in humanity now. Who is on the Lord's side? And this isn't just they began to call out to God and figure out who their God was. This is the Lord. This is the the Hebrew name Yahweh. This is the living God, the true God. Then men began to turn to the true God of the Bible, the true and living God who had created us. And that began to set in motion where we are today because there's only two routes, right? You can be a person that's a rebel against God and be a religious rebel. You're like, I go to church. I'm a good person. You're a religious rebel. If, that's, if you think that that's going to get you right with God, you're a religious rebel. Or you could be an irreligious rebel and say, I don't care. If it fits me, I'll have two wives. If I have to kill somebody to get to the top, I'll do it. I don't care about God. Or you can, like Abel and like Seth, learn to call upon the name of the Lord. See, this is, this is really nothing new. This, this idea of us taking out the gospel and inviting people to call upon the Lord, that's the same thing people have been doing throughout all of history, is inviting people to turn to the true God, is inviting people to realize that if you come to God, you've got to come on his terms, through his sacrifice, which in our generation we understand now that it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And so how many people sit in church every Sunday and go, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. They have no clue what they're talking about. I asked a man this morning after our first service, why would God let you into heaven? He goes, because that's where love is. I said, well, what would make you think you, you're, you deserve to go there? Right? And so here's the living God today pleading with sinners, come my way. The Bible says, whosoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, I want to start with that. Do you get that? Do you understand that? It doesn't matter if you're atheist, methobacterian, Muslim. Don't know anything about God. You come to the God of the Bible, his way, through Christ. And that's all you need to get right with God, is Christ, because he's the full and final sacrifice. Jesus paid for our sins. So we come like Abel. The Bible says, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice, and he was pleasing to God. Now, if you haven't done that, before you leave this morning, I plead with you, come to God. Call upon the name of Jesus. Right there in your seat, Lord Jesus, I don't want to be like Cain. I don't want to leave you out of my life. I come in faith, and I believe in Jesus, and I invite him to be my Lord and Savior. But many of us have already done that, so we go, is this just an evangelistic thing? So I want to close with just a couple applications here. You go, okay, what does this have to do with me? I'm assuming that you've already called upon the Lord as your Savior, right? You've become a Christian. You've repented and believed in him. So then what? Well, there's several things for us to think about. Number one, calling on the Lord for salvation is only the beginning of a lifelong relationship of calling on the Lord. That's what prayer is. This is what marks a Christian a Christian isn't somebody who goes, yeah, I was at some meeting years ago and I, I raised my hand and I asked Jesus to be my savior and then I've ignored him ever since. If you call upon the Lord Jesus to be your Lord and savior, the rest of your life, you continue to call upon the Lord. You call out with praise. You call out with worship. You call out with your confessions. 
and you call out with your burdens. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, may I remind you that Jesus, he loves to hear your petitions. The Bible says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. He, he's there for us when we're brokenhearted. He's near to us and he loves us and he's there for you. And so if whatever is discouraging you, whatever is beating you down, remember, then men called upon the name. This is how Paul described Christians in the book of Corinthians. He goes, I'm writing to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. So do that frequently, morning, evening, at night. Call upon Jesus. Praise him. Worship him. Learn how to pray. You go, oh, pastor, after a minute or two, I get bored or I get distracted. Grab yourself by the neck and sit still. The Puritans used to say, pray until you pray. Half the time, it takes me about five minutes just to beat back all of the dopey things that are distracting me, primarily me. Just, just learn to walk with God by faith and call upon Jesus until it becomes part of your warp and woof of how you live. But secondly, we can learn like Seth to walk by faith, like Enoch, to depend on God, to depend on that beautiful, sufficient sacrifice of Christ. When Satan beats you down and says, you failure, you shouldn't even be here, you're a hypocrite. I know, that's, but, but that's why Christ died. And by faith, I will embrace him all my life. Third, real quick, I want you to think about this. The same time all this is going on, in the book of Jude, we read this. Enoch, who lived seven generations from Adam, proclaimed the Lord's coming, saying, the Lord comes with many of his angels to execute judgment upon the wicked. You see, as a Christian, we have both the privilege and obligation to go, you know what, I understand why many people disregard God, but at the end of the day, we need to love them well enough to warn them. And you're like, yeah, but you don't understand. If I, if I try to invite my friends or talk about the Bible, they're gonna get mad at me. Well, get in line, right? Jesus says, if the world hated me, they'll hate you. Now, it doesn't mean we all go out with our Bible and beat people. You need to be saved. But we need to understand that Enoch, in the midst of all this, he's preaching, Jesus is coming. I don't know if he used Jesus. The Lord is coming. Judgment is coming. He's inviting people to come to Christ. And we could do the same thing, our own humble, natural way. You don't have to, you know, grab people. Just love them, build relationships with them. But the last thing is this. The book of 1 John John decides to take this story of Cain and Abel, and he says, this is really relevant for us. Right? And I'm going to close this with. This is, this is John. I'm a Christian. I don't want to be like godless people. He says, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil, it's obvious. Anyone who doesn't practice what's right, they're not from God. Anyone who doesn't love his brother, for this is the message that that we've heard from the beginning. This is what John says. This is a message we heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not like Cain. Cain was of the evil one, and he killed his brother. Why? Because his brother's deeds were righteous. So John tells you and me, if you're a Christ follower, do not marvel if the world hates you. You can know by this that you've passed out of death and into life, because we love the brethren. In other words, we like to be around one another. We don't come to church because we have to. We come because we want to be with other Christians. 
He who does not love abides in death. John says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. We know love by this. Jesus laid down his life for us, so we should lay down our lives for one another. See, this is not our social club where we come to say hi. This is our family, our forever family. Now, here's the thing. So what do you want me to do, Tom? Die for them? You know, it's kind of like the, remember, you've heard this when the husband who says to his wife, oh, honey, you know I would die for you in a moment. And she says, Jim, you say that all the time, but you never do it. <laughs> See, we, we sort of go, we, we just kind of get lost with that. Oh, I would do, well, listen, it's a better thing. Maybe God one day will call us to die for one another, but how about this? What if he asks us to live for one another and share our stuff? Listen to 1 John. He then goes on to say this. He goes, listen, if you have the world's possessions and you know that there's brothers who are in need and you close your heart against them, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let's not love with word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, my purpose here is not to say, look around, there's half this congregation starving and they need your money. But we need each other. We need time. We need love. We need relationships. We need to be in one another's homes. We need to be a Christian community. And some of you are just kind of new to this. You're like, you know, I don't know how to get plugged in. We want you to get into a community, a small group where you can pray together. But those of you who are in community with one another, live community, care for one another, share with one another. Let's pray that God will will cause this church to deepen, not just expand, but deepen into Christ-like, loving people who are loving one another. And you know what? We don't have to put a big sign, come here and get saved, because Jesus said, by this the world will know that you're my disciples by your love and care for one another. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you so much for the story of Cain and Abel. And some people this morning, I believe, want to find their way to you. They want to get right with you. So if the Holy Spirit is, if you feel that desire in your heart, right there in your seat, the best you know how, just say, Jesus, I want to follow you your way. I believe that you were sacrificed for my sins, and I call upon you this day to be my Lord and Savior. This is the day that I choose to be a believer, to follow Christ. And if, that's you, if today's your day, then please let someone know that. On the way out, let me know or find someone and say, hey, today I chose to follow Christ. Father, for the rest of us, we struggle with our sins. I don't like to be corrected. Just like Cain, it makes me mad sometimes when I'm wrong. Please help us to be humble, faithful, loving believers. Thank you that you provided the sacrifice. We cling to Jesus today and help us as a church to call upon him at morning, noon, and night. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, may the name of Jesus be praised and called upon by our church. And we thank you, Lord. Help us in all of our burdens. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.